Welcome to A Higher Branch, a source of practical and powerful information for busy people dedicated to boosting their personal health and professional performance. I'm your host, Sam McCall. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. We are going to cover the importance of socializing or connectedness. And this is the sixth S in our series on the seven S's where we are treating each one of these S's as the pillar that holds up the temple of your body, your vitality, your life force, your zest for life. We've covered sustenance, starvation, sleep, strength, sunshine, and today we're going to cover the important topic of socializing. But we're also going to cover this topic not just from the perspective of your personal commitment to health and happiness, but also to the health of your business if you are a business owner or to the health of your team if you work in a team for another business. It's an important topic because I believe that socializing and connectedness is one of the superpowers that determines your longevity. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away. I have Dr. Scott Wustenberg back on the podcast with me to discuss the importance of socializing. And for those of you who are new to this series, I want to give you a little intro into my friend, Dr. Scott Wustenberg. He is a teacher in nutrition and chiropractic neurology and holds a master's in nutrition medicine. And my experience from you, Scott, is that you're not the average practitioner. You practice in a range of techniques and as you put it, anything that works really. And I love your approach to that because you don't give up on people. Whereas most practitioners out there that I've come across will try their modality and if it doesn't work they just give up on you but you are there on the journey with your patients from beginning to end you go into neurorehabilitation occipital techniques soft tissue orthopedics the biomechanics cranial therapy just to name a few but there's no doubt that your absolute expertise is in general thought leadership on what makes a person tick as a human being, you get to the heart of it. And your level of knowledge, especially on nutrition, has been mind-blowing for me personally, listening to you over the last four months as we've gone on my own personal journey with yourself. And for those that are new to our podcast and haven't listened to what I'm talking about here in the past, Dr. Scott Wustenberg does so many tests to get to know you, to get to the root of any problem or any obstacle or you may not have a problem or obstacle but you might be just a performance junkie like I am I thrive on high performance having high energy throughout the day because I see energy as the number one currency for the 21st century so Dr. Scott and I have been doing all these incredible tests that I never thought were possible and I think it criminal in fact that most doctors don't do these tests most doctors will do a test when things go wrong but how about you do these tests beforehand so for those of you who are new go back and listen to our previous episode especially the one on sustenance which kicked it off in episode one under the higher branch framework we have the eight areas of life love family work friendship learning wealth charity and of course health being the most important in the middle but one of those fundamental human needs under friendship is belonging now friends come from our learning years at university at school they also come from our working years Most of my friends are actually friends from the workplace. And most of my brainstorming creativity has come out of brainstorming sessions face-to-face with our people. Our culture has been developed on this face-to-face interaction in the office. 
How do we now readjust back to what was the normal? And that is you wake up, you exercise, you shower, you eat, you pack your lunch, you head into the office and you commute. You might listen to a podcast on the way, which is what I do. And you get into the office and you go about your work day and then you do the same thing on the way home. Now, during the pandemic, we've all had to take a reset and think, well, is it so bad working from home? Now we have anything between 40 minutes and 90 minutes extra time that we're saving, having to get dressed, you know, to shave, to pack lunch, to get in the car, to travel. I know I've saved up to 90 minutes uh, a day and I've used that wisely. I've used that to connect more with my family, to cook more at home, to exercise. And so there's a lot of advantages in doing so. There's also been a lot of disadvantages and that is I found it hard to disconnect. I actually found myself working longer hours at home because at five o'clock or 5.30 or six, I didn't just stop laptop close out the door and disconnect. I would have dinner and then think, well, I'll get back on my laptop. So there were some disadvantages, but a lot of advantages. But now, what do we do? Do we go back to the office? Do we return to what was the normal? Or should we adopt this now hybrid solution of working in the office and outside of the office? So if these are the questions that you're asking yourself, because these are the ones that I was asking myself. So I really did not have an answer going forward. But then I had an interesting conversation with Dr. Scott Westenberg. So I raised a side comment with him. I said, I don't know whether to return to work full time, continue working from home or what do you suggest? And, and he made some interesting comments about the importance of connectedness for our health, to manage our stress levels, and the importance of connectedness for our own immunity level. So the more disconnected we are, ironically, the less resistant we are to viruses and bacteria. So ironically, it increases our stress levels and reduces our immunity, which is not a good thing, right? <laughs> not to mention that it actually decreases our happiness and it also reduces our cognitive performance. So I could not ignore any of these comments. And as usual, I love to share what I learn with our community. On that note, Scott, welcome. Thank you, Sam. It's great to be here. Awesome. Now, I know you personally because you've been consulting me personally on my personal health journey. And look, for me, and I speak for a lot of people in my tribe, for me, health isn't something that I check in whenever I have a problem. I like to be proactive when it comes to my health. And I absolutely love your approach. People would have noticed in my introduction of yourself that you fit in a very unique category when it comes Thank to you. health and wellness. And the journey you're taking me on has been absolutely an eye-opener for me. I want to talk about the topic of connectedness and yes. something that we spoke about personally. And it was something that you said, tweaked to my head, and I thought you know what, I need to get Scott to talk to our listeners. And in particular, look, a lot of people who work with me at MSA National, a lot of our staff yes. listen to this podcast. And I also want them to hear what you have to say about work from home, connectedness, and the fear mindset. So we'll be doing a deep dive into each one of those seven S's, which I think are absolutely critical 
to your well-being. And as Dr. Scott Westenberg is going to go through with us, life and health isn't just at a cellular level, and it isn't about filling our lives with pills and supplements. But for today, and this is the topic of one of the S's, it's socializing, right? Connectedness is about socializing. So I know a lot of our listeners also run quite big teams in banks, law firms, And I know there's a lot of mortgage brokers that listen to this uh, podcast and our listeners are becoming more broader. And thank you for last year. We hit 100,000 listens last year, which is quite phenomenal, averaging 10,000 listens every month. And so thank you for all those new higher branches that are joining our podcast. But getting back to this topic of connectedness and how it impacts workplace culture and family culture and our health. So if we can break it up into those three sections, if we start with workplace, because a lot of people, entrepreneurs like myself, we have over 300 staff nationally, over 150 just in our Sydney office. And when I walk through the office, it's a ghost town at the moment. And it's kind of weird. Now, we have an amazing culture and I feel like we are surviving. We are drip feeding ourselves on a culture that we had two years ago. But people are starting Mm. to forget people that have been working from home for many months, losing that social connection with their colleagues. And I've had brainstorming session with my leadership team on Zoom. Let me tell you, it was no brainstorming session. It was absolute crap, right? So lack of energy at that moment, because you're not there. You can't smell or touch people. And I think one of the things that really goes awry that people forget about, human beings have all these senses. We see, we taste, we touch, we hear, but we smell. And the sense of smell and pheromones derives deeper connectedness that human beings don't really think about on a day-to-day basis. We forget what sense of smell does, but it allows us to take on board the aspects of energy in a room. Is something safe? Are they telling me the truth? Is there an issue? And without being able to smell something, people don't get the importance of it. They don't get the sense of touch that you can reach out and reassure someone at that moment, the importance of being able to go, it's okay, Sam. Everything's going to be okay as we touch and we reassure and we reconnect. And Zoom works and it's Skype and Teams and all these great technologies work. But the worst thing at this moment is separation. And the whole environment of the last two years has driven separation from people. And you've got to fear that person there because they might harm you. And the worst thing about that with health is that there's infinite amounts of research that's been done that's showing that fear drives your immune system down and chronic fear and chronic stress lowers your immunity and makes you more susceptible to infection. And so the big thing I want people actually thinking about is we actually need to be getting out there and reconnecting and getting out nature and getting sunshine and touching people and not fearing them. As I was speaking to you about earlier, There's a really, really interesting piece of research that was done at the time of the Spanish flu. So back in 1918, I think it was, the US Navy actually took volunteers and they tried to infect these volunteers with the Spanish flu. 
and they inoculated it under the skin and they had them eat the mucus and they had people cough in their face. And the experiment was 100% failure. And there was a really interesting synopsis and conclusion that the medical doctors that were running this experiment came up with. And they believe the reason it was 100% failure is that they use volunteers who went into it with no fear, that they believe that they were doing the right thing for the country and for their fellow man, and that they were doing the best thing for themselves and their immune system appeared to resonate with it. And it lowered none of their immune systems. And, and the conclusion was it was an abject failure because they couldn't infect anyone. And the end result of it was that the medical doctors believed fear was the sole reason or the major reason that people's immune systems were being suppressed. Now, flow on 100 years, we've got a lot more data about that. And it shows that excessive amounts of glucocorticoids in the system suppress immunity. We know this because we use it in hospitals and we use it when people have viral infections, et cetera, to lower the immunity. But what we know is that if you are chronically stressed and chronically made to fear, and the number one thing that makes human beings fear, because we have organizations that have done this for hundreds upon thousands of years, separation from tribe, separation from group makes a man or woman for that matter, but I'll use the term generically, fearful for your life. When you're disconnected from your group, from your tribe, from your loved ones, you are in danger. You're hardwired to understand that. The ability to smell your loved one, the pheromones, to be able to touch the people that give your life meaning raises positivity. It releases oxytocin. Oxytocin drives confidence and it turns down the immune system. So there is all sorts of evidence out there that if we connect with people and we cuddle and we hug and we laugh and we have joy, we raise our immune system's ability to sustain us and not get knocked over by every infection. Now, that's not to say that they're not going to get a cough or a cold or a sickness. And it's not to say that they won't get sick, but they don't get the adverse events. And that's what the literature says. And I think we need to actually get people starting to come out of our cycle and start going, well, actually, now is a time to build ourselves again, to make ourselves robust, to connect to cuddle, to actually have joy, to not go, oh, that person might, they might make me sick. No, they won't. They're not going to. They're actually going to be helpful to you because you're going to experience laughter and joy and brainstorming. And you're going to sense the happiness in the environment because your pheromones are going to go off and you're going to feel again. And we haven't felt properly for the last couple of years. And I think it's a real sadness. We need to do more and we need to connect and connection drives human health. So there's my two cents worth on it. Absolutely. The more you talk about this and we've had this discussion offline, the clearer the picture becomes. And, you know, we've had a few experts on the podcast say in a different context what you've said about the importance that stress has on our immune system and that when you, you lower your stress level, your immune system is going to react properly when it comes to external pathogen, be it a novel coronavirus or one that we're familiar with. And when you mentioned, you know, lower the stress, what you're talking about there, of course, is the lower the immune over-exaggerated response to uh, any pathogen. So connectedness is on an emotional level. Now, whenever we talk about connectedness 
And rightly, you pointed out, we think of family, we think of hugging, we think of our kids, our brothers, sisters, uncles, aunties, close friends. But in the context of a work environment, there is also connectedness there. And I want people, especially in organizations with a great culture, organizations with a great culture, there is a sense of belonging. There is a sense of purpose. There is a sense of mission in what we are doing. In my experience, and I've hired over 5,000 people in the last 27 years of doing what I do. And what I've found is that people will only work for money if the culture is broken. If the culture is right, people don't care about money. As long as they're paid generally in the vicinity of what is fair and reasonable, but people show up because they show up, first of all, for their team. That's my experience. There was a research study by Wharton Business College recently, which looked at what they called firms of endearment. And these are companies where they got the people who were very good at making their people focus on the mission. There was like Whole Foods America, BMW, Harley Davidson. So people that work there were all about sheer driving pleasure. The people that were Harley Davidson loved bikes and they wanted to transfer that joy to their customers. Ironically, this collection of companies ended up outperforming the S&P 500 by a ratio of nine to one. So these are companies not focused on money, not focused on profit, ironically made the most profit. This research is 10 years old now, but they attribute it to the fact that where people were focused on a mission, focused on making a difference. I think engagement 2.0 is not focused on the customer. That's still there, but I think the primary focus is on their team. It's being a part of a team. I don't show up to work for my customers first. I show up to work for my team first. Together as a team, we are there to show up for the customer. But what makes a team tick is that face-to-face, in-person connection. It's having a coffee with someone and going through an idea, going, I'm having trouble with this. Can I have your input? It's the integrity of the passion, the mission, the guidance, the culture in the background. And again, my blunt statement is, while it'd be much more fun to do this face-to-face, sitting in a cafe, et cetera, yeah. Rather than the purposefulness, you know, this is purposeful. We are doing the best we can with the technology that we can, but it doesn't quite have the camaraderie. It doesn't quite have the sense of combined purpose that being in the room, being in the foxhole, taking the mission to the next level. This is what we both bring to it because the team, again, you know, it, it's still family. If you think about those most successful companies, they are family orientated. The people who are involved turn up because it's their work family, not their home family, their work family. And they are involved and they are committed and they care. And the culture and the reason for being is bigger than just we made a dollar today. And again, I want to get people starting to think about getting back into the office, not just because it's time to come back to the office, but it's time to come back to the office. It's the place to be because this is our home, our family, our goals, our drive. As against, well, I'm just pressing the button because I have to press the button. That's the disconnect. And people lose the joy of being and the reason for being because they're not pumped up by their team leaders or their comrades or their anything because they're sitting 
in a dodgy dining chair in front of a computer somewhere in their funny apartment, who knows where. And, you know, there's times and places for that. But we need to start moving forward and being alive again. Absolutely. And I was looking at, at some interesting research recently, and it extrapolates from this idea that the Japanese have called forest bathing. And so forest bathing is an idea that's been shown to greatly decrease people's cortisol levels and glucocorticoids, and their healing goes up. Now, one of the interesting things of another piece of research I came across is this idea of setting up an inside forest playground for people. Now, most big companies aren't going to sit there and go, oh, great, I want a, a mud-filled forest in the middle of my workplace. But what they showed is that having somewhere where people touch the dirt and play with the, the soil and the plants and actually connect with nature increased their sense of happiness, their health. It changed their biome. So we know that actually connecting like that and being there with friends and the team, actually contributing to making nature better, made their internal environment better. It lowered all those glucocorticoids, it changed their neurotransmitters, and it changed their living biome in them just by playing in the dirt. It was the most fascinating piece of research I've come across. Beautiful. Um, sorry, I was going to say, because you reminded me of it, we're building new offices at the moment. And one of the briefs that I've given the designers is I want a grounding mat uh, because most offices these days have like a carpet that is in squares. And I said, I want one of those squares yeah. where people sit right under their feet. I want their feet yeah. to rest on this grounding mat. And uh, you get, you've just given me another idea, but uh, do you want to explain what uh, grounding is? It's a little bit of a tangent. We'll come back to the topic of connectedness in the workplace. It's connected health. It, it's, we're actually trying to, in some ways, disconnect with that one because one of the problems with our modern society is we are all chronically connected with devices, with cell phones, with computers, with broadband, with Wi-Fi. And the world is full of EMF and those electromagnetic rays that go through everything that you can't feel have impact on the body. It's vibration. And human beings are electromagnetic fields of vibration. We are resonant, energetic beings, and that's what makes us interesting and fascinating. But the problem is, is that if you have too much of those radiation frequencies vibrating through you, it changes your energy field and it tires you out. So the idea is that if you connect via a grounding mat, you are connecting back to the planet. You are discharging all of that electromagnetic radiation so that your body gets restored. It's basically like using the planet as a restorative battery recharger. And you are trying to make your energy levels lift because you're having to dispense with all of that extra electromagnetic charge. You are a charged particle wandering through an environment. Now, even a hundred years ago, we didn't have the volume of electrostatic in our environment. We sleep in these environments. We work in these environments. We walk around in rubber shoes. We don't discharge the static. So by creating a discharging mat, because that's the purpose of grounding, you discharge all that electromagnetic radiation. You connect the person back to source, back to the planet. We used to walk around in, in leather moccasin wrapped around our feet on the ground 
in the environment, discharging all the electromagnetic. You know, the arguments against all of this Wi-Fi stuff is, well, we've always had radiation in the environment. That's absolutely true. But you used to walk and sleep and lie on the planet and discharge it and recharge yourself. Now, human beings recharge in a variety of ways. That's why sometimes in really dry environments, you touch your friend, you both get a shock, you discharge. This is just an example oh, of that electrostatic from the environment. It, right. It's just a very simple one. Yeah. Connection discharges a lot of that stuff. Walking on the beach will discharge it. Being near a, a waterfall which discharges it. Bathing in forests, walking in the forest environment discharges it. The trees soak up lots of that radiation. So getting back to nature, and hence my idea of if we can put nature into the work environment that, you know, you have your team meeting in a nature spot, discharging and connecting, and it's going to bring a different culture. I know it is. And I know a lot of the people out there are going, wow, that's a crackpot idea. But nature brings so much to us that we just don't understand. It's actually a good business. It it's I agree. Off, but I was just thinking it's not crackpot stuff because... People that are connected to the earth, and I just want to clarify for people that don't know what forest bathing is, Scott doesn't literally mean someone's bathing in a forest. Getting naked. No. It's actually walking. No, it's walking. It's actually... <laughs> it's in the forest. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, wellness in the workplace has now become a buzzword, right, in the last five years. Yes. We've been doing it for 25 years, right? But it's people that are happy and healthy, they're more productive, which means they can get more done in less time, which means they don't need to be at the office more than eight hours a day. It really irks me when I hear of people working you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 hours in the office because they're so worn out from lack of sleep, high stress, being blasted with these electromagnetic frequencies that their performances actually go down. They're operating at 60% capacity instead of 80 or 90 or even 100 and the corticoids go up. Exactly. And it impacts all aspects of their life. They go home, they're irritable, they argue with their partner, they don't talk to their kids, they're too tired to engage, so they just flop in front of the TV and compound the issue. I want to return to the, the aspect of connectedness in the workplace. So, Scott, you've built a very good case for connectedness with family members, and people get that, and friends, and extended family but I want people to know that we have a fundamental human need for belonging at work as well. Work also fulfills a fundamental human need for fulfillment. So we get fulfillment yes. from work. We absolutely need work to be happy. The problem at work happens when people spend too much time at work and not enough time at home. So the best wellness program you can give people is time at home, more time at yes. home. Though they come and they get their dose of connectedness in the office, but yes. more importantly, they leave to get more connectedness and more socializing at home. So we're talking about the aspect of socializing. Now, three years ago, I attended a longevity conference in Sardinia because they have, you know, it's one of the blue zones where people yes. are living over 100. And they had all these experts from Stanford and Harvard and yeah. all these uh, gurus from India. And they narrowed it down to one factor that determined why these people are living longer and it was social connection it was they had strong family bonds and they had strong 
work colleague bonds. And that's why I think we're in this zone now where a lot of our listeners are thinking, do I get my people back in the office? Or don't I get my people back in the office? Do I tell them? Do I leave it to them? Now, we're a flexible work environment and we're going to leave it up to our staff. But a lot of our staff that are also listening right now, I want them to make that decision based on what's best for their health, not a decision driven by fear, not a decision where you think, well, I don't want to go in because I could get the virus. And if I get the virus, I'm going to be really sick and die. Ironically, from, you know, Scott, what you just mentioned is that this fear response and Yuval Harari talked about it in his book, Sapiens. He said the quickest and best way to get people to fight or to, to distance people is to make one person feel like that the other person has a disease that they give to you right? That's what drives people apart. So there's a part of the brain that specifically controls that called the insula. And it's connected to taste and smell. And hence smell is so very important. It connects to the sensation of disgust and sickness. And so if you sense that that person is sick and dirty, it brings your disgust and you, ooh, I don't want that. And it disconnects us. And you bring that to the xenophobia point that if they're sick and they're other, they're bad. And then we either fear them or we want to hurt them because human beings go to our bad spot, which is a good defense is good offense. So if I kill them first, no more problem. Correct. Well, Yuval Harari argued that was the basis for a lot of wars where you make one tribe feel like that the other tribe is disgusting in some way. And I think this pandemic, whatever reason it's happened and how it's evolved, and I don't want to get into conspiracy theories that are out there, but the upshot of it, whatever, whether it's conspiracy theorists are right or wrong, and it's just a virus that's just mutated, what have you, but the result is that it's driving people apart. It's making people sicker. Like you said, the fear is driving stress. It's dampening our immune response or making our immune system go wacky. So I think the best way we can fix that as humans is, and you told me this earlier, you said, start hugging some people, Sam, start going out and socializing and do more of it. And I'll tell you something that I found fascinating in our office And you can tell me what's going on there from a scientific perspective. But after the lockdown between June and November, before Omicron hit. Yes. Right. So we had this period where it was bliss. The whole of December, right? Now, during that period in New South Wales, masks were removed. People came back to the office. Yep. And oh my God, the culture was off the... There were smiles. People were happier. And we decided last minute to hold our annual awards night. And there there was joy in the office. It was like there was an emotional drought where the plants were all dry. And then once this joy filled the office with people's energy, with people's connectedness, it's like the trees started flourishing, turning green, fruit was blossoming and flowers were blossoming and trees, uh, fruit was uh, (laughs) plentiful. And then suddenly we were told to put the masks on again in January, those same people stopped smiling. Those same people started experiencing stress responses. Anxiety. Anxiety. What was going on there? There's a lot of programming to unpack there. So in the first instance, if you think about a mask, masks of that sort, the disposable kind of surgical mask, et cetera, et cetera, it represents sickness, okay? 
So if you think about what we were just talking about with the insular cortex, if you're wearing a mask, you might be sick because you should wear a mask to stop you spreading the thing. Okay, so my brain automatically thinks, oh, maybe you've got a problem. Therefore, I should be wary of you. So that's one side of it. Secondly, so the current science, there's been four studies recently that have just come out this week in a big synopsis that have said, and I'm going to be controversial here and people can disagree, I don't care, because the science has just been published that say masks and lockdowns have not worked full stop. The World Health Organization came out and said it doesn't work, don't do it except in an extreme circumstance, such as your hospital system is being overrun. So again, that's what the science is being published. That is not what our government and our health departments are saying is the right thing to do. I'm not them, so I don't get to make those decisions. I just read scientific papers. The papers say masks don't work in these scenarios. Now, there's several reasons for that, one of which is that you constantly are chronically recycling your air. You are going to be rebreathing a portion of what you've just breathed out. You have a much greater capacity to suck in plastic molecules from your plastic-based mask into your lungs, which is a very bad idea. If you have a degree of sickness, such as a bacteria or fungal in there, the moisture holding it around your nose, you're gonna keep rebreathing that back into your system and straight into your lungs. But lowering your ability to get oxygen into your brain makes your brain acidify. And a lower oxygen brain increases cortisol and glucocorticoids and winds up your stress pattern and makes you more anxious. Try being choked for a bit and see how anxious and irritable people become. There's a whole bunch of other stuff about loss of control, loss of self-identity, loss of body autonomy associated with a mask. If I cannot see your facial expression, how do you know what I'm thinking? Because you cannot read it on my face. Human beings recognize behavior patterns. There's a group of cells up in the frontal cortex that help us recognize emotion through the eyes, through those facial expressions. It's actually one of the reasons why Botox isn't very good for us, because if you can't make the expression on the face, you can't understand the emotion. And that is super important because human beings are emotional creatures and we connect by happiness and joy and sadness and all of the facial expressions that we make. If you can't register what I'm feeling because all you've got is this blank set of eyes, how do you know what's going on? How do you know anything about what I'm feeling and how connected I am to you or otherwise? Because you cannot see it. All you've got is eyes. And from a cultural point of view in your environment, that is going to be a great problem for the brain's capacity to understand you. How do I understand you and how you're feeling if I can't read you? And so automatically, if I can't read you and understand you, my brain gets a little bit more defensive because I'm just not as keyed in and connected. And maybe you don't like me. Maybe you don't think that I'm as good. And it just makes us more and more and more fearful. And so like, I get social distancing. I get not breathing and coughing on someone. I get the idea that if you've got a virus, stay home. You know, that's, that's really, really logical. But otherwise, we've got to stop living in fear and we've got to stop offering the identity of sickness, sickness modeling. So I model 
sickness behaviors with these devices. And it leads people to feel that there's a problem, that there's a reason to disconnect from me, that there's a reason to fear me. I am other because I'm not the same. And then what we've been doing is if you're not wearing a mask, then everyone gets very judgy and that drives people to conform. And this is not a moment to conform. This is a moment to connect, to love, to experience joy, to allow the watering of those flowers, et cetera, to come back and to drive the culture of the business so that the business thrives. Because if you think about what's happened in the last two years with the economic environment, the people that are going to survive this have to have people connecting, have to have them connecting to the culture and the reason and the mission of that business because the more we stay in this fair environment, the more people don't go to the businesses. Because, you know, if we think about your 150 employee office, that 150 employee office also supports coffee stop, shops and small businesses in the environment on a daily basis. So when you're not in those environments, when those people aren't coming in, all of those other interesting connected, you know, your people go into their people and they say, hi, and how you doing? What's going on? Because I know the person in the cafe that I love frequenting and I go in at eight o'clock before my 8.30 start and they know me by my face and they have my latte ready, etc. And there's this interplay of energy and that interplay of energy that's so important is not just in your office, it's because of your office flowing into all those other businesses and the environment, and it creates bigger and better joy. And all those small cafes in Sydney and in Melbourne central business districts, they've got fear at this moment because they are unsure where their next dollar is coming from and they have a huge rent and what's going to happen to me. We need to change. We have to make our environment a happy place to be. We have to stop fearing Omicron or whatever the next variant is. We have to trust our medical people actually have a handle on this and connect again and get back into life, get sunshine, get breathing. If you don't breathe, as we've spoken about, you don't heal. And if we live with fear and those glucocorticoids going up, we don't sleep. And if we don't sleep, we also don't thrive. And that thriving mentality is so important. Again, going back and reconnecting with the leadership team to start running kind of seminars for the, for the staff to go, this is why we do what we do. Buy in, get connected, come back. If you're a risk, okay, if you've got a lowered immunity, you're a great person to stay at home. But connect with Zoom, connect with your team, buy in and be, get Get with us. And again, I cannot stress how important I believe that to be. We need to actually stop the fear cycles. We need to stop the posturing and the modeling of sickness behavior. Wow, Scott, there's a lot to unpack there. And I wish a lot of these leaders that we have in Canberra and at the state level who have a ready supply of media to expose them to the public actually speak about these things. But look, that's politics and we're not going to try and change that. What we can change is what happens in our individual offices, what happens with ourselves. And it flows out. 
It flows out, absolutely. And there's no doubt that I've seen this. People who are in the office, new people that have started with us who are getting trained, speed yes. to competency was much faster. They were picking up things a lot quicker. Now, Model from the base. You, exactly. you get it. Exactly. And even on Zoom and on Teams or whatever it is, the training has still not been as effective as face-to-face. And Correct. some of those people have said, you know what, stuff it, I'm going to go into the office. And they're the ones that are, their performance are accelerated. So my other message to a lot of my colleagues out there in, in the corporate world is that we don't want Australian companies to fall behind. No. What's happening overseas? People are getting back to the office, right? Yeah. And there was this big fear with machine learning and robotics, you know, a few years ago when it came about and all these gurus in Harvard and Stanford and the management consultants were saying the robots are going to take people's jobs. Well, well at, some we point, now, at some point, probably. That's right. But the thing is, we are now treating people like robots. When you can't see a person's face and yes. you're just told to do something on your laptop, from home, because you're afraid to come in and feel the energy of other humans, yeah. you are essentially becoming a robot. What makes us happy at work is the connectedness. It's having someone sitting to the right of you or to the left yeah. of you. The psychologists call it. It's energy transference. It's that invisible energy that connects people. And you just can't do it. You know, I'm not saying Teams and Zoom is not effective. It might be 70% effective. But we don't want to operate at 70%. I don't wake up every morning and say, yay, I'm going for average today. I'm going for 100% effectiveness. And yes. I'm going for 100% happiness. Now, am I happy working from home? Yeah, I'm still happy. But am I happier in the office? Hell yes. I'm yeah. a lot happier. We had mask mandates last year. And as soon as they removed the mandate and people removed the masks in the office, people's energy changed. There was a lot more connection. It was a lot more smiling and performance went through the roof. And it was at the perfect time before Christmas when volume was through the roof as well. And from what you said, Scott, it's not just about being happy at work. It's, there's things going on at the cellular levels in our brains, in our emotions. Absolutely. That boosts our happiness, reduces stress, improves sleep. And ironically, that's going to make you fight any virus a lot more effectively, right? True. True, true, true. The research that you cited earlier supports that. So thank you so much for your thought leadership on this topic, Scott. Uh, I can't wait to have you on the podcast again. It's lots of fun. Awesome. Awesome. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for listening to this week's episode of A Higher Branch. And as always, live consciously, my friends. Thank you. Thank you.